This podcast discusses content that may be triggering for some listeners. Please be advised, discussions include gambling language, types of gambling, and addiction. Hello and welcome to the Hidden Addiction Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Mid-Hudson Problem Gambling Resource Center under the New York Council on Problem Gambling. Across New York State, we have seven resource centers dedicated to connecting individuals to care. We are here to increase awareness about problem gambling and advocate for support services for persons adversely affected by problem gambling. Gambling is defined as risking something of value on a game of chance. There can be many types of gambling and it can affect anyone at any time in their life. It may not be talked about often and kept in the dark, but we hope this podcast sheds light on the hidden addiction of gambling and brings forth resources and information for you to use. Hello, welcome to the Hidden Addiction Podcast. My name is Amanda. I'm joined by my co-host Leilani, and today we are joined by an amazing, excellent, wonderful guest, Tara McDonald. Tara, would you mind just giving a brief introduction of yourself to our listeners? Sure. I mean, that that intro, the amazing, wonderful, I mean, that's just awesome. I'd like that's- to stop there, but but sure, sure. I'll, I'll say, uh, uh, hi, everyone. My name is Tara McDonald. I am the commissioner for the Department of Mental Health in Ulster County. I am a licensed master social worker, and I have a um, master's in public administration. Excellent. Thank you so much. On today's podcast, we are going to be discussing uh, some of the work that you are doing. And I know Leilani has been really integral, um, really just in kind of working and collaborating in some of the work being done with the BIPOC community. Um, So we do have some questions set up. We're going to be just having as smooth and casual of a conversation as we can. Leilani, do you want to take it away? So I just wanted to preference that um, maybe some people don't know what BIPOC is. It is Black, Indigenous, people of color. Um, I believe somewhere along the line, they have added extra words into it, um, but I can't remember what it was. Tara, do you remember what the actual... But at the end of the day, it's really focusing on Black, Indigenous, people of color. And why are we focusing on that particular population is because history tells us and has shown us over time the history of this country, I would say, um, and how organizations were formed, how systems were formed. Oftentimes, this particular population has been underserved and um, and it doesn't often reflect the resources and the um, the way we go about providing programs and resources to our community. So we are trying to be more cognizant, trying to be more um, helpful or uh, um, mindful of how we serve this particular community because Historically, systematically, they have been underserved. So that in a nutshell is why we are here today. So Tara, tell us a little bit something about these listening sessions that have been going on in Ulster County. Absolutely. So we are on our third listening session, I want to say. Um, Yep. And, and so the, the anti-racism group of our county's Integrated Ulster Initiative has been scheduling what I like to call road shows. And the, the road shows are at community venues and we've done them virtually as well because we have the ability to be flexible and pivot whenever necessary. Um, and, and we were doing that to initiate conversations with our BIPOC community regarding behavioral health issues. Um, Mainly what we've been able to do right now, let's say, is to just set up an infrastructure that allows for there to be free-flowing conversation um, amongst community members. I I don't know if we've gotten to the point where we've really truly shown our benefit, but we're going to get there, right? It's like it it comes in phases. So up until this point, we've been successful in introducing the fact that there are mental health services in this county. There's a misnomer that, you know, because the Department of Mental health doesn't have a clinic that there aren't any services there 
serve definitely services and way in which that we can support our residents. So we've been able to do that, right? Um, and opening up the conversation. But the other thing that we've been able to do is to set up a system where we have the ability to listen to our community about how we can do our job better. And I think that last part is, is really where these conversations will eventually become most helpful because in any change process, it has to start with listening, not just jumping in and changing things. You don't know what you're changing, right? So the ability to hear our community say, this is what you can do better. This is where we need to see you represent more. This is how you can help more. And then instituting those changes based on what we're hearing. That's the ultimate goal. But but right now, I, I think we're listening and just getting the word out. We're hoping to be able to do the, the sessions in like a roving fashion every other month. And, and in doing it sort of roving, we're hoping to make sure that it is easy for our residents to participate. If it's in one place, one time, you know, it's, it's hard to get there. We're a big county. So we're, we're hoping to really be able to spread out so that lots of folks can join the conversation. And with your podcast, I'm actually going to put out the call that if any one of your listeners would be interested in hosting us and just offering a venue, we come to you. That is awesome. I know that I I, I have been a part of the um, anti-racism uh, work uh, work groups and 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 the, the 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 conversations and as well as but representing um, my organization as New York Council on Problem Gambling and representing our our region, the Mid Hudson region. And then I was helping um, uh, the subgroup create this space, this listening session. What is it going to look like? And one of the things that came up a lot was that oftentimes this particular community doesn't don't even understand why it's important to even have this conversation or why it's important to have these resources, this, these mental health or addiction resources for themselves? Do they see it as a problem? You know, historically, we're like, you know, you, you in, in the Black community or sometimes the Hispanic community or different communities of color, they're just like, we don't put our business out there. Um, we are, uh, what is mental health? What is therapy? That's not for us. Right. <laughs> you know, so right. I think at this moment in time right now, this important and um, moving, transforming time right now where people are really starting to see that I need help. Mm-hmm. I will say, Leilani, I don't know if you will recall on one of the, I think it was probably our second session, um, someone, one of the participants said, you know, I've never been so keenly aware of my mental health. Right. Being in a pandemic for over two years with numbers fluctuating constantly, am I wearing a mask, am I not wearing a mask, am I isolated, am I going to work, am I doing this by my computer? And all of us have really had some sort of a time when we're like, well, I'm I'm not doing okay, or or maybe someone I love isn't doing okay. And that keenness around the fact that there is our physical health and our mental health, this is the perfect time for us to be doing these conversations because we're coming to a slate of people that saying, yeah, I never really paid any attention to it. But now I'm getting an understanding of what that importance is. Now that I know what it is, what can you do for me? What can you offer me? And, And that's what these conversations should hopefully be doing is to say, Yes, it's important, and this is what we can offer you. And I know we're in our these listening sessions is in its third session, and things do take time. I don't want to disregard that. Things take time. Do you think at this moment in the third session that this these listening sessions have been helpful, even in its the smallest way? And and then also I would ask part two of the question, or maybe it could be part one and then you can answer the other one, is has Ulster County done anything like this before? Hmm. So I'm going to answer your second part first. I feel like that's that game show. I'm going to take the second part first. Um, And in terms of whether Ulster County has done something like this before, my tenure within the county is only, only goes back five years. However, I have heard that there have been times historically that we've 
um, as a county have invited our community members to speak on different issues. Now, is it specifically regarding behavioral health? Have we ever done that before? I don't know, but I think that, you know, our county government has made space for residents to be able to talk about or talk to specific issues that are happening in the community. But I can't say that we've ever done like behavioral health focused conversations before. Um, and I'm hoping I'm not forgetting something major that I wasn't here for. So that's the second part. The first part in terms of how can it be helpful? Or has it, has it been helpful? Or has it been helpful? At the third session, I think that helpful has come in the in the form of that, I do believe with each session, someone has left with a better understanding of even one program, of even one a piece of, so what does the department do? Or, you know, the last time I wasn't able to stay for the whole session, but the, the last time we talked about our schools and how we can focus on helping our schools, right? And, and we talked about as a department what we're, what we're looking for and what we're doing it. I think what it has been able to do is to open those conversations and let our community know we're trying, we're working, and these are things that are happening. But certainly that's not the full goal of what we're hoping to be. It's like, it's like these community conversations would eventually be our, our real life, robust, dynamic advisory board. That's the best way for you to know how you're doing is if folks know, oh, no, I know about that program. Oh, I've been in that program or, you know, um, have a direct link to the commissioner to say, I need for you to do this. And I actually do it like eventually that would be the goal. I don't know if we're there yet, but you have to lay groundwork and we're laying it. And I think the groundwork is is really starting to happen. And I think it was even starting to happen before the listening sessions, because organizations are recognizing that this has to happen. You know, we have to figure out, even within our own organization, we have to figure out how to meet the needs of the BIPOC community within the services that we create and the, and the people that we want to serve. We want to serve everybody. We want, we want everybody to, to know about um, how gambling addiction can affect the individual, the family, the community, and, and at large. So, and, and gambling addiction is a behavioral um, addiction. So, and we're talking about behavioral health. How, you know, how are, how are we connecting and if we're not connecting, how can we? And I think that's what the conversations, even prior to we even starting the listening session, organizations really are trying to take, take a deeper look within. Right. And clinicians or therapists or, or uh, executive directors are really trying to take even, not the deeper look within the organization, but a deeper, thin, with a deeper look within themselves. Because we have to change ourselves in order to then it for it to trickle out into the work that we do. Okay. So I, I, I'm, I've been really excited about the work that, you know, we all have been doing and just to be mindful of every person. Right. Agreed. Every person. So, you know, something ahead. that you said before, Leilani, really is just like, really is just ringing true through everything that you guys are discussing in the sense that you know, oftentimes when organizations were built, when things were made, like we're going back decades, sometimes more, right? Systematically, it was a very different world, a very different situation and a very different demographic that they were trying to reach. And I think that, you know, oftentimes in our organizations, you'll have that kind of thought process or concept of, oh, we've we've been doing it this way for X amount of years. So, so why shift? Why do anything different? And I think that like through these discussions, through conversations, and honestly, just through seeing the results and how people are really responding. I agree. I think organizations are starting to open their eyes to know like, oh, maybe what we've always done isn't the best way. And even, you know, I work on the treatment side of things for gambling addiction and looking at just the demographics of individuals who are going into treatment does not match right. the demographic of people who are gambling, right? Like we'll go and visit a casino and you walk the casino floor and if you just look on a Monday at 10 a.m., looking around who you're seeing at a casino, when you look at the, the call statistics and who's calling in for help and who's accessing help, the demographics don't match, right? So there's a very obvious disconnect for how we are 
essentially promoting our services and trying to get that word out there and for who is receiving that information, right? So it's it's really big on, on how are we going to successfully really service the entire community as opposed to just a portion of it. So, and one thing that you said, Tara, is it's all about listening, right? I think for so long, a lot of communities have been like spoken at or like, yes, come, come tell me what you need and I'm gonna write it down. And then like, oh my God, that paper got lost. Here's my agenda. Whereas instead the community really needs their voice to be heard. And I think that these listening sessions and the work that you're doing provides that platform for people to not only come and say, hey, these are my needs, but be able to also see like, hey, these are my needs, but also here's some information that could help meet that need. And if we don't have that, how can we build that path to make sure that these gaps are filled? So this is a soapbox I can stand on forever, but I'll Oh, you'd have to move over so I could stand next to you because I absolutely agree. I think the other thing that, um, you know, COVID is allowing for us to do, and you know, I'm a silver lining type of a person, right, is to not necessarily have one box of how we help somebody. I'm a therapist, come to my office once a week, what have you, what have you. The ability to be able to infuse hybrid types of, of things and get paid for them, by the way. We could have done it years ago, but it's hard to keep a, a business going, an agency going, if you're not able to get paid for the services that you're providing. Right now, I can offer someone who maybe missed the bus, but was looking forward to their service, their, their therapy session this week, We'll switch to, we'll pivot to virtual, Get, you know, use your iPhone, I'll see you there, or I'll talk to you on the phone. It's so important for us to be able to meet people where they at in order to give them help. They can't come to us, so therefore they can't get help. I love the fact that we are changing. I also love the fact that we're trying to be able to shift how we're using our resources from being so reactive to things and being somewhat preventative, right? So, I mean, we look at there, there are horrible things that happen that we are able to take the example of and say, how do we do this better? Gun violence in our state is out of control, right? And, and But you have folks that are, um, they're not working. They are, you know, um, facing homelessness. They are food independent and, and don't have the ability to be able to, uh, food insecure, I'm sorry, and don't have the ability to meet their basic needs. That makes people unhappy. They don't need therapy. They need food, right? So it gives us, but they need somebody to tell that too. If me as a clinician, I'm not always talking about, so what was it like when you were three and your mom slapped your hands, but I'm actually talking to you about what it's like now for you to feel that um, if I'm not able to get a job, I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent next week and then actually help with that. I, I, I think that based on COVID and the relaxing of a lot of the services that we can provide and still call it clinical and still call it support, we're going to be able to be less reactive and more preventative and be realistic and, and stop treating the, the, the symptom of what is, you know, trauma and systematic racism. All of those things are going to lead to needing therapy. How about we fix that and you'll fix this on the other end. So, I mean, again, soapbox, sorry. No, it's okay. I definitely hear you. And I think, you know, what you're talking about are the social determinants of health that are really impacting our communities, really impacting our, our services and the gaps there and, and that whole line of things. And I think for so long, like you said, it is, it is very reactive, right? It's like, oh no, you know, Joe down the street is housing insecure. Um, maybe let's try and find him a cot somewhere, but we need to really start taking a step back and saying like, okay, well, what has led this person to this point, right? And I think that oftentimes we don't do that. Like it's, you know, and obviously there are some presenting symptoms, so to speak, that obviously you need to address immediately for sure. But behind the scenes, how can we work not only to help this individual who's at this particular point in their life, but how can we also help the other community members who may be on that same path. How can we identify like what is causing this? Because there's a, an analogy of like, 
there's a pond and the mosquitoes and people keep getting malaria. And so you keep treating for malaria. But if you don't identify what the true root cause is, right, there's sitting still water that is really perpetuating this illness. The mosquitoes are then going to the water, drinking it, giving it to the people. You can just keep treating the people, but the malaria is going to stay there, right? You have to take a public health approach to say, okay, what actually is causing this to happen and how can we you know as a county as a state as a country address these gaps in services how can we address these root causes to things that then you know oftentimes there are so many situations where people are just looking for help looking for somewhere to go but if they don't have stable you know or solid or or, or trust within their community to provide that help they're going to go and find help elsewhere, right? So maybe they're going to turn to crime. Maybe they're going to turn to um, drug use. Maybe they're going to turn to gambling just to kind of help and, and deal with all these emotions, what's going on. And it's like, that's that's not the healthiest coping skill. And how can as a, we as a community, as a county, as a state, as a country address this? It's, um, it's interesting. I mean, the, the, this whole segment of the conversation of being proactive and just um, social determinants and everything. I, I remember reading something the other day because it is Mental Health Awareness Month. And, you know, this is why this topic is so important, our mental health and behavioral health is when it, with, when it comes down to like the problem gambler, right? A person who has anxiety, a person who has some mental health issues or challenges, they might not have a gambling addiction, but if they're if they are trying to calm their mind, they may go to gambling because gambling is something that if you can sit in front of something, especially if it's like a casino or playing a game on your phone or, you know, watching sports and participating in any type of mobile sports betting. You then, because it's helping you calm your mind. So you are have you have that mental health challenge, and then you become addicted to gambling, or you can be already addicted to gambling, or you're using gambling as a way of entertainment. It could be you know you're a social gambler, but then become addicted to gambling, and then gain the anxiety, gain the mood disorder, gain all these other mental health challenges. So it kind of goes back and forth, back and forth. And if we don't ask questions, we're never even going to figure out what is the true root of that cause of as to why the person either has that anxiety and then gained that gambling addiction or had that gambling addiction and, um, or became a gambling addict and, um, and gained that mental health challenge or, you know, that I had gained those challenges. So it's all mind boggling to me. And I, I truly believe that we just have to really start having conversations. And oftentimes culturally in, in, BIPOC, in BIPOC communities, gambling is a norm. It is such a norm. Um, in many communities, it is such a norm. So, and it's like, how are we taking this normalized activity where people can easily gain an addiction or easily um, have str struggle with mental health and really start to have a conversation? Because right now, I think what we're trying to do is ask, even in these listening sessions, ask them, what are your needs? What is it, what is it gonna get, what is it gonna take to get you to the service, right? But then I guess the next component would be, what is it about these, these, these issues that makes it hard for you even to receive services? Like, do you even think you have anxiety? Do you think that you maybe have a personality disorder or mood disorder? What is your aggression stemming from? Or do you think that because your grandfather or your grandmother or your, your whoever was did play dice or the you know did play the lottery every day like clockwork or even um this is what we do every Sunday. We play bingo, whatever. You know, do you think that is, and not, I'm not, I'm not saying it's not okay, but do you, how do you think that has 
translated into your personal life? Has it become such a norm for you that it is an everyday occurrence? And how much money are you losing? Or how much money are you getting? Like how, how much of that of your time is being put towards that? And how do you think it's affecting your mental health? Like, I think that is the next wave of conversations, understanding and truly understanding root causes. But now I'm on my sofa. <laughs> Good, we all had a chance. <laughs> right, we did a little round robin, a soapbox. <laughs> I I think it's interesting because, you know, what you're saying makes a lot of sense, right? I think a lot of times gambling is so normalized. It's something that does happen just culturally, um, socially, when you're looking to have a good time. But are we having these discussions? And, you know, obviously, right now I'm talking about gambling, but I think this can be applied to all kinds of things. Are Are we talking about the possible risks that could be associated, right? When you consider, okay, you know, for example, let's say that when I was a kid, I used to go down to the bodega and I would get my, I would do my, my grandma's numbers because she couldn't walk anymore. So, you know, since I was a kid in this scenario, I'm being exposed to gambling from a young age. Is anyone talking to me as a kid, as a teenager, as a young adult about how gambling is impacting our family? Because yeah, let's say I'm, I'm going down and I'm playing grandma's numbers, you know, every other day on the weekends, whatever it may be. Are we talking about, you know, grandma's financial insecurity? Are we talking about how sometimes she doesn't have enough money to pay for her medication? Are we talking about how, you know, now because my grandma is gambling all this money away and that's, you know, impacting her child who then is then stressed. And then, you know, there's all this family stress that is present. And oftentimes in BIPOC communities, that's not really discussed. You know, we don't talk about how these different triggers or situations may be impacting our families or impacting, you know, what is going on in our household. And oftentimes it's like, oh, that's just how it is, right? Like this is just normal. That's, you know, that's how I was raised. It's what it is. But are we really talking about how, yeah, okay. Like maybe that's how it was, but can we change it? Right? Like, are there interventions we can take? Can we educate ourselves? Can we, you know, improve our health literacy to really see like what is going on and can we get help in these different arenas, whether it's gambling, whether it's drug use, whether it's even like having unhealthy relationships with food, right? So not to tie all back to these listening sessions, but that's really what it is, right? Like how can we have these discussions to open the doors so that families don't always get, you know, I've been seeing a lot of things on social media about cycles and how to break the cycle in your family. And it's like, talking, right? Like, how can we just open up and really have these discussions to find out, okay, like what's going on? Does it have to be that way? And if you want to change, what are some pathways that not only can, you know, you open up as an individual, but you know, what are pathways that the community can like come together and really rally around these different things? And I think oftentimes like in our work, things are so siloed, right? It's like, oh, we, we just focus on gambling. So that's all we can talk about. But that can't be that way, you know, and I think that we've been doing a lot of work to make sure that our clinicians and treatment aren't just talking about gambling with people, right? Because people don't wake up on a Tuesday and say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to deplete my kid's college fund. I'm going to stop paying my mortgage and possibly lose my home. I'm not that that's not how that works, right? There are a, a line of things and events that happen, different scenarios and situations different paths that we go on and that lead somewhere. And it's like, okay, how can we find that root cause? How can we work to break that cycle? And how can we as a community essentially open ourselves up to see like, these are just different presenting symptoms. How can we find the root of this? I think that, you know, Amanda, you pulled it back to the listening sessions, but in terms of like the next iteration of what those sessions can do, it's having conversations that says to a community, have you considered? Have you considered that, you know, and certainly Leilani, you're right on target. I mean, obviously you do this work every day, but a lot of what you find in different addictions is just the ability to to use a diversion, 
There's so much going on in my head. There's so much I'm responsible for right now. There's so much not going well. I don't want to have to think and be and be engulfed in all of this 24 hours a day. I just want a diversion. Maybe I'll have a drink because that calms me down. That's a diversion. Maybe I'll sit in front of a computer and doing the, um, you, you know, uh, uh, gambling or even better yet, I'll go to a casino. I'm around other people that I can talk to, you know, and, and just a diversion. But there it's at the end of the day, a diversion that someone would use as a coping skill. <laughs> so it's a matter of being able to exchange that coping skill that you, you know, if you've considered that I've now used my electric bill money every month for the past three months and going to the casino, perhaps I should consider doing something else, right? That's the way to be able to understand that what I've known, maybe not, I know it, but it may not be best for me. And now that I know that, what do I do with it? And so perhaps those sessions at some point will be turning to education, but not in the traditional sense, but having conversations that say, you know, you are doing what you need to do in order to put one foot in front of the other and be as productive as you can be. But have you considered that there may be another way for you to do it and it not have negative repercussions on you? You know what I mean? Like that's where it can go. So it sounds like what you just said is it's a lot of it is like validating. Like, I understand. I get it. I understand that we're all out here trying to survive and we're all out here trying to do our best with whatever we got going on and all of our barriers, all of our struggles, all of our whatever, whatever is going on. We, I understand. And you know what? If right now this is where you're at, then this is where you're at. But then like, the supportive piece that comes into it is the, so what can we do? What can we do with what we got right now? And really, I guess, trying to figure out with the client and even the therapist, like, what do you have to give? And I, you know, I was telling Amanda before this, I was like, oh my, I'm just so tired. I'm so tired. And I, I, I asked myself, what do I have to give? Well, how much do I have to give right now? And if what I'm giving, do, is it depleting me? Has it, is it bringing me down to zero or is it bringing me to 25, 50%? What, it, where, what, it, what do I have to give? And if I don't have anything to give right now, I think then that's where the supports of finding supports, strength, having strength-based programs is, is a great resource. And really going through that with the client or the, you know, the individual saying, who are your, what are your strengths? Who are your supports? What can you tap into when you are depleted? Because when you know, you know, when you're depleted, where you're going to go, <laughs> you already know where, where you know, where you're going to go. So let's try to figure out what, it, what, what are, what are some things that we can support ourselves with? that are positive, that is going to really strengthen you so that you don't go towards negative behaviors or your mind doesn't start to go outward that where you cannot bring it, you can't focus it back on yourself. Let's figure that out. <laughs> I love referencing NDRE. Y'all know I love NDRE. And, <laughs> and, you know, there's got this one song is like, Come back to the middle. Come back to the middle. And where is your middle? Your middle is yourself. That's your core. That's where it all started. So coming, going back to that. And let's figure out how we're going to get back to that core. But if people, if there are those who are possibly can't find their way back to the middle, it's the, it's, it's the, or it's the community, it's the organizations, it's us who need to help them get there. And we can't get there unless we understand. And we can't get there unless we're willing to understand. And that's why I like, I'll go, I'll come back to the, the you know, and, and this is not to disregard any other type of community, whether it's socioeconomically, um, gender, but right now we're talking about the BIPOC community, if we're not willing to understand their plight, historically, systematically, we're doing ourselves 
an injustice. It's understand the plight too, but understand that it is real in terms of how it affects life today. It is real. It's not just a concept. It's not something that our community is holding on to because of, of what history says. It is things that affect decisions that happen in life today. <laughs> right. And that's that validation. That's that validation. Your struggle is real. It mm-hmm. ain't like, you know... <laughs> But also, you know, and we, we, we can go into it, but not go too much into it, is like the ancestral trauma that we carry. It ain't even ours. It's not even something that happened to us, but it, it's something that has been ingrained in us. And also, it's not ingrained with us, you know, like spiritually in a sense, but it's ingrained with us when we talk to each other day in and day out. And I know for myself as a Black woman, the things that I hear from my my parents or my grandparents or my family members and just saying, you know, this is not what we do. <laughs> it's not how we do things, you know? And so it's taking all of those things and it, it, yeah. Um, bring it back, bring it back, Leilani. <laughs> One thing that you said, kind of just continuing that thought about like, it's the validation. It's really acknowledging that these traumas, these plates are still very present today and also not demonizing people for when they, when they are depleted, when they are at that zero, when they, when they do turn to a coping mechanism, that may not be the healthiest, not demonizing people for that. Because I think that's, that's another thing that we really need to like, as a system, when we really consider how do we make positive systemic changes is understanding that we are all humans and every single day, every single one of us makes at least one bad decision, right? Whether it's to ignore our alarm clock or uh, eat McDonald's or whatever your choice is, every single one of us, every single day doesn't do everything right. But it's like, once you see someone when they're at zero, it's like, well, what are you doing there? How dare you do these awful things? Like what in the world? You know what I mean? Because really, Every single one of us expects kindness and compassion when we're at our lowest. And somehow, systemically, that's not what we get in return, especially when you have people calling in. Like we're talking about, right? Obviously, someone calls into our center. They're calling because they're having a real hard time with their gambling. That the, the courage to call to whatever whatever's going on, right? They have gotten to a point where they're like, I, I can't do this by myself anymore. And to reach out for help for a lot of people, specifically in the BIPOC community, is hard. Why? Because we don't do that. That's not therapy, treatment, that, mm, 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 nope, we got to figure this out ourselves, right? So why is that oftentimes people reach out for help and it's like, well, you got yourself into this mess. That should never be the response, right? We've got to really work to make sure that our, our systems, the way that we respond to people, how we are essentially when we're building these bridges, it's done with compassion. It's done with kindness. It's done with like, I see you, I see you, I see your hurt. I see your pain and let me walk with you. Right. It's not to say that I understand you. It's not to say that I've been through what you've been through. It's not to say that, Hey, like, you know, I've been through work. Absolutely not. But it's to say that you are a person that has seen some stuff and gone through some, gone through some things. And how can we collectively get you to be better, right? How can we collectively work on your your wholeness, your wellness? How can we improve the situation 5%, right? Because it's not to say we've got magic wands and we can make everything better, but how can we at least make 5% of improvements today? Can we do that together? So that is a good segue into asking a question to Ms. Tara. How is Ulster County organizationally, clinically, um adjusting to now try to meet the needs of the BIPOC community organizationally and clinically um so since we don't necessarily and again I'm going to take the second part last the clinical part 
that we have is in our conversations with folks every day, right? Um, because we don't do the actual therapy and, and providing that treatment service. And it is in every interaction with someone who is put in an application to be able to get uh, case management services or health home services or what have you. It is to execute everything that we just talked about which is to embrace what it is, the fact that they are extremely courageous and trying to be and reaching out and saying, I need some help with this. I can't do it on my own. It is to be recognizing of the fact that um, perhaps our community gives, doesn't necessarily give credence and value to being vulnerable enough to ask for help. And my hesitation in saying that last piece is because up until now, we've as a department made a um, made it pretty significant in terms of when we're taking in applications, we don't necessarily ask about what someone's ethnicity is, what their race is. The, the thought was that we are wanting to be able to make sure that there's no discrimination, we're giving, um, you know, we're making those linkages and giving services and, and helping in that sort of a blind manner and manner. And and I can understand that. I can definitely get with that. But there is a richness that you're missing in not gathering that information. Um, so that's one of the changes that we're hoping to make is to ask those questions and to be able to know, well, you know, I think I can connect you to a case manager that is of color if you feel like that's going to make you more comfortable. Um, but I I have to open up that as an option to someone who's going to tell me that, yes, that's a barrier for me. I would like to, I'm, you know, it's a, I'm a Black woman. I would like to have a conversation with someone who looks and thinks somewhat like me, right? You know, but I have to give them the, the freedom to have that discussion with us. Um, so that's one of the biggest changes that we have begun to institute from the listening session is to sort of shift. And I don't think that traditionally or the way in which that we took in applications traditionally was bad. We wanted to make sure that everyone gets the same level of response and service. But I think that there's a way for us to do that and still give credence to the fact that um, our race and our ethnicity does bring does make us who we are mm -hmm. and you need to know who I am if you're going to help me and someone is going to help me so you know those are some of the changes that we've tried to make and starting starting to make. and that's a great thing and I thank you as a as a, a a local government unit and really trying to address those needs um, because they are important. I know internally for us at our organization, we have we host monthly meetings where we are talking about cultural humility. We're talking about um, you know how various different issues hit certain points and um, and we, I think right now, and I think Amanda could possibly speak quickly to it, is that we are now trying to move from, because it's similar, like we're kind of internally having listening sessions in hopes that eventually people um, would, and our staff would uh, uh, be able to feel more comfortable approaching various different populations. Um, and because how are we gonna do this work across all, all, you know, across all uh, uh, populations? How are we gonna be able to do this work if we're not able to, if we don't feel comfortable or we don't go into and speak with people? But we do have to have a level of comfortability and the only th only way we can do that is by listening to each other, listening to each other's experiences, honoring, validating each other's experiences, and understanding that not every person is the same, <laughs> right? I, you know, I'm a black woman. I, I believe Tara, you identify yourself as a black woman. Um, I know Amanda identifies herself as a Latina. Um, and how are we, we are all different, right? We're all different. So don't, ex, don't think that my experience is the same as Tara's experience, but understand that 
there is a commonality. There are experiences out there. How are we able to reach people? And so it's little things. These little things can turn into bigger things. And as long as, in, and if, if people are listening to this podcast right now, especially those who are executive directors, those who work in organizations, is bringing these conversations back to your, your, your people and saying, we need to do better. And how are we reaching all demographics? Are we listening to people? Are we meeting their needs or are we just ticking boxes? Even in our hiring practices. And it's not just, it's, it's all tiers of hiring. It's all tiers of hiring. Because like you referenced Tara is if, if we if we're trying to reach this population, but if that population, if a if a if a Latina says or a, 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 a Hispanic person says, "Hey, I feel comfortable with a Hispanic um, clinician," do you have one? You know, do you have one? <laughs> or Asian says, "Hey, I need somebody who speaks my language or understands my culture." Do you have one? And if we're not even reaching out to even hire or then how are we going to meet the needs of those people who need the help? So in terms of things, in terms of the hiring piece, and there was a part of this in the discussion that I've, I've had on the listening sessions as well about how can we shift the tide around making sure that there is diversity in the helping profession professionals, right? Um, because I would answer no to that person that was asking the question of, that you were posing, Leilani. I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm someone who is a, a part of the Asian community. I'd like for somebody who looks like me to be engaging in conversations. I don't have that person, right? I don't. How are we able to take a look at our helping professions and increase the diversity? I was looking in um, NBC News did a they reported in 2019 that only, I think there was 3% of Black clinicians throughout the, the, the states, the United States, and like 15% in terms of anyone who identifies as people of color. And so, and we are all as agencies vying for these same 3 and 15%. In order for us to make a difference, we have to start in terms of the education pieces, the training. I'm going to tell you, I love what I do. I picked social work for a reason. It speaks to every part of me. But I am saddled with debt that I will never get rid of, right? So when my daughter looks to me, it's 19, and says, Mom, should I be a social worker? I don't know if I would tell her yes, because I don't have the ability as her mother to independently pay for her education. She's going to have to at some point take out loans. And if she wants to do this work well, it requires being trained. It requires the education and the amount of time to be boots on the ground to get the experience in order to really help. When you've done with all of that, your salary that you're going to end up with is not necessarily going to be commiserate to all of the time and effort that you put towards it. When you know that your friend who is a bachelor's in, you know, um, IT could be making a lot more than you. We have to start to value this as a profession so that we can bring in our, you know, young people of color so that they can take my place when I leave. I am also proud to be of that 3% very, very proud. I didn't make, I have no regrets, but I, I think that we have to continue to recruit and encourage and support the next generation so that I can say, yes, we have some, what are you? You are, you know, Jamaican descent. That's me. Then yes, I have someone too. You know what I mean? Like it's just, but it has to start from somewhere. So I did, I definitely wanted to talk about that. Amanda, you can wrap this up with your last comment. <laughs> just what I was going to say, I mean, thinking back to how we can really work to make our communities, I don't know, more open and inclusive. I think it also starts, you know, not to diminish the staff that we have, because there are some really excellent staff that we've got working in these communities. They just don't have the lived experience. So how can we work to, I think that's what we've been trying to do with our cultural humility group at our organization and our accessibility group, how can we really work to 
I don't know if exposure is the right word, but I guess get more exposure to just the world, right? Because oftentimes we grow up in our silos, just like the organizations can be, right? You grow up in your little bubble and it's really important that when you're doing work in human services and you're exposing yourself and you're putting yourself out there to say, I'm here to help the community, how can we really be here to help the community? Because yeah, I identify as a Latina woman, right? I have had by almost 28 years of experience and I can speak to that and blah, 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 blah. But that's not going to prepare me to speak with or to say that I can identify with or I can, um, I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and be like, yeah, I totally understand all of the experiences and and triumphs and plights and everything in between for other cultures or, you know, other individuals with different levels of abilities or experiences, right? So as best as we can, I think that that professional development and I think personal development really, because if we're going to be part of this community, being part of the community means really working and having that social responsibility to your fellow community member, right? Showing up for your neighbor, being there to provide that assistance and not just to be like, oh, you know, I got a gold star because I bought someone a latte on the line behind me, but really showing up authentically and genuinely and trying to be a support and a pillar to your community in a way that's going to be beneficial for all, right? Not just whoever's being serviced by by this program or whatever the case may be. Um, wow, wow. Can I tell you that the amount of soapboxes that we have around us honestly can fill the room and I don't want them to stop. Um, this has been phenomenal. This has been just such a wonderful, wonderful recording. I really am sad to even be saying the words that I'm saying, but we do have to wrap it up in respective time. And I don't know. I mean, honestly, Tara, come back tomorrow and we'll keep doing it again. But this has been so wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for your time today, Tara. Thank you for sharing your insight. Thank you for sharing about your experiences, about really just not only on this podcast, but really all that you're doing for the county. Um, For anyone that is listening, we share this information. Obviously, we love talking about it, but also sharing this information to then take it back and implement it in your life. Whether this is you're listening for personal reasons, for professional reasons, how can we really as individuals show up in our communities, in our workplaces, in our relationships more authentically, more genuinely, more compassionately to be that pillar of support? I'm not sure if Leilani or Terry, if you have any uh, closing words, mine. That was a good one. Wow. Yeah. That was a good one. Pop your collar. Mm. <laughs> thank you so much, Tara. And thank you to if there's other Ulster County um, community members who have been integral in developing these listening sessions. We, I thank you for showing up, lending your voice and willing to listen. And if there's any other community out there that really wants to try to implement these type mm-hmm. of listening sessions in your community, please reach out to Tara. We'll put her information, her email in um, our uh, show notes. Of course, Everything and all we do with this podcast is to amplify voices, especially around problem gambling and gambling addiction, those in recovery, and really connect how these different communities, how these different topics affect those struggling with problem gambling or those who are struggling with mental health. We're all connected. We're all connected. And I just want to remind our listeners of that. So I, I don't know if that was better than what you said. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you, Tara. All right. That's a wrap.